There has never been a more important time to be vegan. Here at Veg Your Best, I want to help you limit and eliminate the consumption of animal products without feeling deprived, overwhelmed, or unsupported, even if no one you know is vegan. My name is Michelle Olander, and if I could go vegan in 2015 with all my excuses, I know you can start moving in that direction, too. Veg your best, and there's nothing you can't do. Episode 130, The Vegan Registered Dietitian, Virginia Messina. Welcome back, Veggie Besties. Welcome and welcome back. Today we are publishing episode 130 of Veggie Best. That sounds legit, doesn't it? 130 consecutive weekly episodes as of today. And I'm recording this one from sunny Southeast Florida where we have a view of the Atlantic. Okay, not from this closet where I'm recording, but uh, there are gorgeous sunrises and pelicans and lizards and where we've had quite a few of our kids and our grandkids come to spend some time with us during this past month. Uh, many of you may know that my husband is Canadian, and I think I think Canadians love Florida more than anyone. Now, when this episode comes out, the last day of February 2023, I think it will be, I'll be starting my plan to return up north to southern New England and my normal life, and there'll be some upcoming travel and vegan content coming to you in April from Spain and in May from the UK. So pretty soon we'll be getting ready to rent this Florida condo out to some other tenants and get moving. Yes, we keep moving. You know, you get to a certain age and there are a lot of questions where the only good response is, you know, if not now, when? So As you know, if you listen every week, you know I really never give any dietary or nutritional advice. That's way above my pay grade. I do not give health advice, and I'm honestly very leery of a lot of the unscientific memes that go around among vegans that that being vegan is a panacea for every single possible health issue. You know, in fact, even vegans die. And coincidentally, that's the title of a book by today's guest, Virginia Messina. Uh, Ginny Messina has a master's in public health. She's a registered dietitian. Her website is theveganrd.com, theveganrd.com. And she's had a long career, uh, worked with so many different groups of people. And I was so excited that Ginny would agree to be on VeggieBest because her work is always about encouraging people to make ethical decisions with their food choices while still making intelligent nutritional choices for themselves and for their families. Vegans don't always have the best reputation for being science savvy and evidence-based. And so Ginny Messina has been using her education, her years of experience, working with a variety of populations to help change that. Um, I know I've discovered Ginny through several of her books, and she's written and co-written 
a passel of them, a bunch of books with others, including Carol J. Adams, uh, Jack Norris, another registered dietitian, and Patty Brightman. And she keeps a resource-filled website, which you should write down right now, theveganrd.com. Theveganrd.com. So get ready. Get ready for an informative conversation right now. And uh, I'll check back with you on the other side. Ginny Messina, the vegan RD, registered dietitian, welcome to Veg Your Best. Hi, thank you so much. It's great to be here. And did I say it right? The vegan RD? It's the vegan RD. That's right. That's my blog and, uh, and my social media handle. Social media, because you're a registered dietitian, you have a master's also in public health, as mm-hmm. I understand yes. it. And you came to my attention because of how many books you've written, <laughs> which is <laughs> kind of amazing. And you've written with um, your co-author, Carol J. Adams, who is really a very inspirational person. I've really enjoyed reading her work. Yes, I have too. Yeah, I've enjoyed working with her so much. Yeah, she she's really and and um you know sometimes people will talk about ecofeminism and the feminist I- issues in in um veganism and some people's eyes can kind of glaze over but her writing and her point of view is really very inspirational. Yeah, it's really nice when you can when you can work with a co-author and um learn so much from them. Um, you know, we've, we've worked on three books together and, um, it's just been a great experience for me. She's so inspiring and and so knowledgeable. And one of her books, um, I always pull out because it's, um, I always say the title wrong. It's never too late to go vegan because that Mm -hmm. is kind of the, kind of the subtext of all the work I do is, um, it's never too late. We sometimes think everybody who goes vegan is young and has, you know, some kind of counterculture type of orientation. And the people I work with are overwhelmingly midlife and in often very, very traditional people who are very, very standard lives who are just going, hmm, maybe there's, maybe that's not a problem, but I've never been vegan until now. Yeah. Yeah. And, th- and that's the, that's the first book that I worked on with Carol and we had, and Patty Brightman was our, our third co-author. Patty is um, an activist in California and she was a literary agent. And so she was Carol's agent and she was my agent. And that's kind of how all three of us, all three of us connected. Um, and never too late to go vegan was Carol's idea. She felt that it was important. And we all felt that it was important to have a book for this particular population, not just to give people the tools and the information that they need in order to move towards a more plant-based diet, towards a more vegan diet, but also because we wanted to um, we wanted to show people that your food choices and the the choices that we make at this at this stage of life can be important empowering because um you know we all know that as as you age you kind of feel like you're losing power you're losing influence and adopting a vegan diet or moving towards a more plant-based diet is a way to really have an influence on the world and um that was an important message that we wanted to convey in the book yeah i could not agree more i have i have my uh my little uh, hobby is the idea of a million a million vegan grannies 
And that <laughs> we, we worry about generational wealth, but th there's so much about generational health, generational compassion, generational eco health, that we really have that kind of influence over the next generation and going forward in our lives. Yeah. I love you. I love your idea of, of, a, of a million vegan grannies because the first, when we were first uh, brainstorming about this book, the first title we came up with was uh, grandma goes vegan. And um, it's, it would have been kind of fun, but we, but we, you know, we ended up going with this, with this other title, um, you know, a little bit, a little bit more inclusive. I think, well, no, for sure. I think it's, it is more inclusive. And, and I do believe, um, I, I know some people push back at the concept of grannies. I, for one, am not, I'm a grandmother of four. I'm a babcha. I, it's a Polish, Polish name. So um, I'm not a granny. A lot of people go, oh, nobody uses that term granny. I know lots yeah. of grannies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but if, that's, if that's what you're pushing back on, I guess, good. Good. It's not the vegan yeah. part. <laughs> Yeah. So let me understand what your vegan journey was, because one of my jobs here on the podcast is to show a variety of ways people came to this way of life. And obviously you studied uh, nutrition, you studied diet and health. What, wh which came first for you? Yeah, the nutrition came first. I was a, I was a dietitian. I got my, my undergraduate degree in nutrition and became a, a registered dietitian. And then I uh, went back to school to get my master's in public health nutrition. And so that was really my interest. Public health nutrition is what I was, what was really my, um, uh, was really what brought me into this field. And my first job out of graduate school was working in Southwestern Michigan in a, a clinic that um, uh, served an underserved population. We were working primarily with uh, migrant farm workers who were coming from Mexico and Texas to, um, to Michigan during the summer. And um, I worked a lot with pregnant teenagers. I worked with older people who were um, very isolated and very low income. And so that's, that's what I was doing. And I, and I loved it. And I loved working with, with all of those populations and, and was learning a lot. But at the same time, I was personally becoming very interested in vegetarian nutrition. And that was, was driven primarily by ethics. I was um, kind, you know, animal, animal advocate, and um, was starting to look at how that in how the way I ate connected to that. So I became a vegetarian. I started um, learning more about vegetarian nutrition. And this was in the 1980s. So um, we didn't have quite the, the body of literature, or the, the body of knowledge that we have now. I left my job in public health and moved more into um, employment uh, employment where I was was more of an educator. I was working at Michigan State University um, in the um, uh, cooperative extension office as an educator. And then I went to Central Michigan University and became an instructor teaching dietetic students. And all th and throughout this, this journey, I was getting more and more interested in, in vegetarian nutrition. And as I was working at these different jobs, I kind of became known as the dietitian who knew about vegetarian nutrition. So whenever there was a project or a need for a speaker on those topics, I was the person who was, was called upon to do that. So I was really building in that little community. I was building my reputation as a, as a veg, vegetarian dietitian. 
And then I moved to Washington, D.C. for my husband's job and um, had an opportunity to go and work for the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, PCRM, which is a nonprofit organization that promotes a vegan diet. And that was totally new to me. Um, I was not a vegan. I was a lacto-ovo-vegetarian and um, uh, didn't know all that much about veganism, but I, I I took the job and I learned about it. I learned about vegan nutrition. I learned about vegan ethics and there was really no looking back. I just be became so involved in that aspect of, of nutrition that that really, that became my main focus. And um, from, from then on, I was, I really became the vegan RD and that's, and that's what I've been doing since then. That was about 1991. And so do those uh, titles butt up against each other as a as a registered dietitian at, in public health and veganism? Are they compatible in general for you? Well, I think that they're compatible. Um, when I first started working as a vegan dietitian, I was working primarily within the field of vegan dietetics. For example, okay. um, the um, American Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, which used to be the American Dietetic Association, that organization has a, a, a group of vegetarian dietitians, the um, Vegetarian Dietitian Dietetic Practice Group. And I'm a member of that. And I was working on a lot of, I have um, over the, the past three decades, worked on a lot of projects with that organization. And I have also worked on a lot of projects with different animal rights organizations. So that's been my community and it's been, been a very good fit. Mm. But within the larger community, um, the larger dietetics and medical community, there is some skepticism about um, veganism. And certainly I have felt some skepticism directed towards me as somebody who identifies as a vegan. I think a lot of that comes from... Um, uh, from the hype about vegan diets, you know, we, we read so much about vegan diets as kind of a cure-all. Um, some of the dubious claims that are made about vegan diets. And um, I think that that's, that's created some pushback. So I, I try to always be very clear about the fact that, you know, I don't believe that a vegan diet is the only healthy way to eat. I don't believe that it's a cure-all. I do think that it's a really good choice from an ethical perspective, from an environmental perspective. And that's my, those are my reasons for, for being a, for being a vegan personally. And then professionally, I want to help other people who are choosing veganism or choosing more plant-based diets. I want to help them to do it as healthfully as possible. And so that's really my my perspective on on veganism as a, as a health professional. I think that's so important because you know I'm on social media with other lots of other vegans and stuff yeah. comes through there that just basically you said a cure all. I, I'm I'm fine if they put the um you know the citation of where they got their information for. I'm for it. I'd love to believe it, but there's a lot of stuff that comes through that I'm I'm a bit dubious about. And I heard you talking on a, a wonderful podcast, Simon Hill's The Proof, where you mm -hmm. talk about some of these specific Simon asks you a bunch of um things and asks if these are myths and from your point of view, from your uh your your um scientific point of view, 
where you see the evidence that backs these things up. You talk about some of them, about oil, about dairy and cancer, about, I'm trying to remember all the topics, but it's an excellent, excellent podcast. And I hope, I don't want to rehash it here. I hope everybody will listen to Simon Hill's The Proof and your episode, uh, Ginny Messina, um, talking about that. Because I think it would be very helpful for a lot of people who are curious about um, how, how we evaluate what we're doing when we want to stop or limit uh, the animal consumption in our yeah in our yeah I think so too and you know an, another book that um, th- that I co-authored with Carol and and with Patty Brightman is um, even vegans die and we wrote that book to um, not so much to push back against claims that are made about veganism but to push back against the shame that surrounds um, illness. And, you know, vegans, even vegans die, vegans get cancer, vegans get heart disease. Um, vegans do have health problems. And there, and certainly we were especially concerned about the issue of um, obesity and weight gain among vegans. There's a tremendous amount of shame around all of those issues. And so I think that it's really important to be clear about the fact that a vegan diet is not a guarantee that you're going to be skinny. It is not a guarantee that you're going to be healthy. And that's okay. You know, you, you, choose to eat in in the way that feels best to you. You deal with your health in the way that feels best to you. Always knowing that you are making this choice that is so good for the world and that is so empowering. And that's the thing that that matters the most. I think that's beautiful to say because yes, and and a vegan diet can be all kinds of things. The same way a non-vegan diet can include and restrict all kinds of things. There's It's endless, the permutations that are available basically in both sorts of uh, orientations around food. Right. And, you know, and some people don't, some people don't especially care about their health. That's not important to them. Or or some people are, their health is not really affected that much by what they eat. They're, you know, they kind of have this, uh, this um, great metabolism that, that seems to, to work well, no matter what they're eating. And so I, you know, certainly I want people to eat as, as healthy a diet as they can comfortably do. But um, I also want people to know that there is a way to be a vegan for everybody, whether if you just want to eat junk foods all day long and you don't care about anything else, you can do that and be a vegan or you can eat a really healthy diet, a really convenient diet, a really gourmet diet. There's a a way for everybody to choose a vegan diet. And what about the pushback we sometimes get that it's very expensive to eat? as a as a vegan eat a whole food plant-based diet yeah i think that um you know i think it's it's an unfortunate truth that that certain dairy products and even certain meat products are very inexpensive because of the you know because animal agriculture is so efficient at the detriment of the of the animals and and the environment um um, and and because of you know farm subsidies, it keeps the the price of these foods very low. Whereas more um, healthy foods like fruits and vegetables, they tend to be fairly expensive. Um, but you but you can certainly offset that by eating grains and beans, which are pretty inexpensive. I mean, there's nothing less expensive than beans, especially when they're cooked from the from the dry state. So I think that it's not so much that vegan diets are expensive. I think that 
eating healthfully can often be more expensive if you're choosing to include a lot of fruits, uh, fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet. Um, uh, you know, you can choose frozen vegetables as, as one way to save money and they don't taste as good, but they're, they're just as good for you. And if you saute them in a little bit of olive oil and, and garlic, then they're, then they're still pretty good. But, um, it's, it's not so much a function of vegan diets as it is a, a function of healthy diets that include a lot of produce. That's what pushes, pushes, um, prices. That's what pushes your grocery bill up. And, um, and then again, in contrast, eating lots of, of beans and grains and potatoes and sweet potatoes is a, is a good way to bring those costs down. You know, I don't talk about food that often on the podcast, but on my Instagram, I often put what I'm eating and I, I, I just say ad nauseum, it's a green, a grain and a bean is like the foundation of most of my meals. And then I fill yeah. it in with whatever else is in season or in the fridge or in the freezer or in the pantry. And um, it's a heaping bunch of greens, whatever, whatever I've got. And then the grains and the beans, uh, everything is alliterative in that. But you, yeah. said, you said the three letter word that uh, PCRM sometimes talks about oil. Uh-huh. Yeah. So oil is, is one of the things I do know you mentioned with um, with Simon Hill on the proof that um, there that it's an example of the spectrum of whole food or plant-based diets, right? Some people will totally avoid oil for hopefully for health benefits. Yes. I think there, there are a lot of people eating plant-based diets or vegan diets who choose not to include oil in their diet because, uh, well, for a variety of reasons. One is that it's not a whole food. Um, and another is that it is, it's fairly high in calories because it is, you know, oil is, is pure fat. Um, I don't care so much that it's not a whole food. I, I think, I don't think that every single food in your diet needs to be a whole food. I think you could aim for maybe 80% and then fill in with, with these other foods that um, have a little bit of processing. Oil is, is certainly olive oil is just, you know, the juice squeezed out of olives. It's, it's, very lightly processed and it's a, it's a healthy food. Um, I, so I do include oil in my diet. I think that um, it improves the mouthfeel of certain foods. It improves the flavors of some foods. It enhances the nutrient absorption from um, foods and salads, for example. So I'm very happy to include small amounts of, of oil in my diet. It's not unhealthy to include that. So it really becomes a, a personal choice. If you're counting calories and that is one way that you can reduce the, the calories in your diet and you're happy doing that, it's fine. But I do push back a little bit against this idea that a healthy diet can't include oil because it certainly can. And, um, and for most people, I think people who are moving towards a, a more plant-based diet or a vegan diet, it can be unhelpful to start piling on these other restrictions to say you can never have oil, you can never have desserts. If your diet is mostly whole plant foods, you can have these other foods as well and have a healthy diet. Yeah, I think it's a good example of like if somebody is already suffering from uh, significant heart disease or some other um, medical issue, well, then, okay, you go straight to whatever your doctor says you need to be eating or not eating perhaps. But for most of us who are moving into um, into plant-based eating, moving into a vegan lifestyle, to give us too, too many rules all at once and give up too, too many things all at once 
is kind of a recipe for for backsliding or failure and at it. I think I don't know. I think that's been your opinion, right? Yeah, it. Yeah, I I think so too. I think that um, people often find eat, adopting a vegan diet to you, you know they're it can be difficult for some people. It can be difficult to give up all of the foods that you grew up with and to find new ways to bake, for example, baking without eggs and baking with different kinds of fats. There are some challenges associated with that. Um, I don't like, you know, I don't want to say that going vegan is hard. It's not hard, but certainly during the transition to it, there are these challenges. You have to learn new ways of eating, new ways of, of cooking. So I'm not in favor of making it more challenging by saying, oh, you know, you can't, you can't saute your onions in, in olive any longer. Um, I, you know, I agree with you completely that we, that we don't want to add these other restrictions on to um, incorporate these other restrictions in, into dietary changes when people are already doing so many new things. Yeah, I, I agree. Cause it's, I don't like saying vegan veganism is hard. Change is hard. Like, yeah, just that's right. Across the board, no matter what you're trying to do. That's right. If you're trying to learn to cook a gourmet meal or bake or anything, all these things are hard. You're not set up for it. You don't have the experience for it. And uh, and I think veganism is no different at all. It's just it's just changing. In fact, this week, I think coming out, my my podcast is about lapsed vegans. And uh, I wonder what you think, because I often, often hear people tell me, oh my God, I was vegan for a year or three years or 18 months and never felt better. So happy with myself, but I couldn't keep it up. And I'm always like, okay, but you could, you could back off from it without completely dropping it. But there's something about our brains that don't, don't make that happen so easily. You know, I just, I, I find it, um, I'm, I'm just so curious about people who were vegan and were happy being vegan. And then all of a sudden they feel like their health failed. And so they didn't add back a little bit of cheese or a little bit of fish. They decided to eat a carnivore diet, to eat nothing but meat, as though that's somehow the the answer to not doing well on a vegan diet. And so I, you know, I think that a lot of times um, people are looking for, um, I don't know, they like extreme food choices or they're looking for some uh, something new. Um, I'm not really sure what that's all about, why somebody would jump from a vegan diet to something that is at the absolute opposite extreme. Um, I do think that people often often don't do well on a vegan diet because they don't have a good um they don't have good information about vegan nutrition. For example, they might not be taking vitamin B12 supplements, um, uh, which is really important Super for important, all vegans. Right? Let's let, let's put a let's put a point right there. Anybody who's eating, most people probably need B12 supplements if they're older, right? But definitely, yeah, everybody, yeah. According to the Institute of Medicine. Um, which is the organization that establishes the RDAs for for nutrients. According to that organization, everyone over the age of 50 should be getting at least part of their vitamin B12 from uh, from supplements or from fortified foods because it becomes more difficult to absorb vitamin B12 from um, 
from animal products as you age and with digestive changes. So yeah, so everybody over the age of 50 should be taking vitamin B12 supplements and vegans at every stage of the, of the life cycle should be using vitamin B12 supplements. And I think that there's a lot of pushback against that. Um, people don't want to believe that, that we need supplements in order to be healthy. I think that a lot of times um, vegans will not take those supplements for that reason. They just, they just can't believe that that's necessary. And then they fail on their vegan diet and, um, and it creates this, this idea that a vegan diet isn't healthy or can't be healthy. Well, it can be healthy just with this one small change with, with taking a vitamin B12 supplement. So, and I think that, you know, sometimes people eat diets that are too low in fat, too low in protein. They don't feel well. Um, too low in calories, period, I think. Too low in calories, period. Um, eating a raw foods, vegan diet, just becoming too restrictive with, uh, with vegan food choices. Um, uh, I, you know, I think that, that people often end up not feeling well or just not feeling satisfied. They're just not happy with their diet. And, and so they end up abandoning veganism and either going to this other extreme to a carnivore diet or just adding some, some animal products back to their diet. And, um, you know, I think that we know, you you know, because of the work that you do, that there are all of these other reasons related to our social lives and um, um, learning how to cook and, you know, exploring new foods. People just find it difficult to, to stay vegan. They're not getting the social support that they need. So I think that, you know, for me as, as an advocate for veganism and, and as a dietitian who wants to help people feel good with it, you know, feel good as, as a vegan. I think that all of these things are so important, not just nutrition, but also giving people the social support that they need and the support that they need in exploring new foods and, and uh, new ways of cooking and new ways of eating. I think it's so important for any change that you make, but certainly with veganism, I, I, you have to be willing, I think, especially in the beginning to fail a little bit because that's where you learn so much. And if, instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you go, oh, why could I not keep that up? What Maybe I need more food or maybe I need to wait until I learn how to cook these other things before I completely give up fish or completely give up eggs. Um, sometimes people are mad at me when I say that because, uh, you know, there's criticism can come from every, every side of the equation, but what we are trying to do is get people to thrive and leave animals alone. um, Right. Not bounce back. Yes. And, and I, and I think that, I think that that's really important because that that's something that I, that I try to, um, that I try to convey to people who are in the process of going vegan or have adopted a vegan diet, that if you, if you have a lapse, if you eat a non-vegan food, that's not a failure. It is just a lapse. And you just, you keep moving forward in whatever way you can and keep making better choices and, you know, you'll get there. So I I think a lot of times, you know, it's the same thing with weight loss diets. And, and most of, most of us women know this because most of us have been on weight loss diets at, at some point in our lives. Um, it's kind you know, you kind of get this all or nothing idea. Oh, well, well, I stop, you know, I stopped being on my diet, so I'm just going to give the whole thing up. And I think that people do this with, with veganism as well. Yeah, because I think you, sometimes you can handle all of it except the social situation. Right. And so then you need to learn, You maybe give yourself a little bit of a pass for a while, while you learn how to ask for what you want, 
while you learn, that's why I talk about the vegan grannies. While you turn, talk to grandma and say, I am not eating that grandma. I still love you. I adore you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm yeah. not eating that. And you're, de- you're not denying your traditions. You're not denying your family history that you're, so sometimes we have to learn certain areas. We don't want to just give up everything just because there's a certain area that's a little bit tough for us. Yeah. And those, and those conversations with grandma about the, about your, you know, your favorite cookies that she's been making for you since you were three years old. Those are really hard conversations. And so, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. You have to do your best and realize that there are some areas that are going to be more difficult than other areas. And you'll work through those over time. Yeah. I, 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 I talk on the podcast a lot because I came to this. I don't know if you've ever heard this term that I use excusitarian. I was an excusitarian yeah. for a long time until I committed. And um, I found it very hard traveling to places where people were proud of the artisanal animal products that they were creating and to go into a small area or and, and say, no, I don't eat this food that you have been making for generations um, and that really bothered me for a long time until I just practiced it. And now, right. now I respect my reasons. So I don't worry so much. I know it's not done out of disrespect. Right. And sometimes people will agree. Sometimes they won't, but, um, same thing always. Yeah. And I think, and I, I think that, um, I think that over time you learn how to talk about it. You learn how to explain to people why you don't eat something in a way that, um, that doesn't make them feel uncomfortable or, you know, doesn't make them feel challenged. And, and that's, and it's all a learning experience. So that is something that, that also happens over time that you may not be comfortable right at the very beginning. Yep. And this is part of your work. Your food is not just what's on the plate. It is everything. It's, it's where the food comes from. It's who we have our food with. It's how we prepare it. So of, of all your books, which one would you like, if someone was going to start with one, which one do you think you'd point them towards? Well, I think I would point them towards Vegan for Life, um, which is the book that I co-authored with Jack Norris, who is also a dietitian. He's the executive director of, of Vegan Outreach and has been working in this area for a long time. Um, and I and the reason that I would recommend that book is that it kind of covers all of the bases. It gives, it gives some information about, um, about why we choose veganism from an ethical perspective. It gives some information about the health advantages of eating a more plant-based diet, but I, I think does so in a a way that is very honest about what a plant-based diet can do for you and what it can't do for you. And then provides the basic information that you need in order to ensure that you're meeting nutrient needs at any stage of the of the life cycle. So there is a chapter for older people and um, a chapter for pregnant women and for people raising kids. So it kind of covers, it kind of covers the, the whole, the whole, um, every it's vegan for life. It's basically everything that you need to know about veganism in in a nutshell. So start there, vegan for life. So start there. Yeah. And then go, and then move towards, you know, whether is it, whatever is of, of particular interest to you, you know, for those of us who are over the age of 50, um, then maybe looking at, at never too late to go vegan. And for people who are concerned about some of these issues around your legacy and around illness and death and dying, then, um, then even vegans die. I also wrote a book for women, um, vegan for her. Um, I'm kind of not recommending that so much anymore, even though I wrote it and I'm supposed to love all my books and recommend all of my books. I think that it's probably a little outdated at this point. So I think that uh, Vegan for Life is is a better option for women. 
Okay, that, that that's good to know. So vegan for life, and we'll make sure that that gets linked in the social media. Uh, when um, when people um, from a medical point of view, they've got stuff going on. I know some vegans don't like telling their doctors that they're vegan because they think or know or think that their doctor is going to go, okay, that's just not, stop it. How do we advocate for ourselves as people who are choosing to opt out of animal products? How do we advocate for ourselves and also take good care of ourselves in our conversations with our physicians? Do you have any kind of guidelines or recommendations for that? Well, I think that it's important to, um, I certainly think that if, you know, if you're talking with any healthcare provider, um, I think it's good. It's not always necessary for them to know, to know that, that you're a vegan, but I think that there are, you know, certain aspects of your health where it's something that you may want to discuss with them. Um, you know, like I let my my healthcare provider know that I'm vegan because I wanted to make sure that I was testing my vitamin D and um, bone health and, you know, things things that are specifically related to diet, not necessarily to veganism. But but that was was important to me. And um, she certainly didn't bat an eye. She didn't she didn't care at all. But um, you knew who she was talking to. <laughs> yeah, I know, but that, that's certainly not true of all healthcare providers. So I think that it's important to to, to let your healthcare provider know that um, that you are vegan, that this is why you are vegan, this is important to you, and that you are a savvy vegan, that you read about nutrition and you are making sure that you you are meeting all of your nutrient needs. Um, so I think that 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 when you have that conversation with with a healthcare provider, you want them to know that this is not something that they need to worry about. That um, that this is something you're happy to discuss with them, but that you really do know what you're doing, and that this is something that is really important to you. Now I have heard, and this is a question you may say that you're not you you don't have familiarity with or don't have anything to offer on this topic. Um, I I know some people who lost a fair amount of weight, which doesn't always happen. When I first went vegan, I actually gained weight because I had to keep eating because I was not satiating myself the same way I had. Been. Yeah. But some people lose weight. And this one person, um, her doctor considered veganism basically an, um, uh, an eating disorder. Yeah. That was That was this particular physician's feeling about it. And uh, eating disorders and veganism are sometimes very contraindicated in the therapies, in the therapeutic community. Right. Is there, for people who maybe don't agree that they have an eating disorder, is there a way to advocate for themselves there or is that very difficult? Um, well, it is difficult, of course, because people who are, who do have eating disorders are, are going to say that, that, that they, they don't, don't have an eating disorder. So it's very difficult for the, for the physician to know. Um, and if, and, you know, obviously if the, if it's an unhealthy weight loss, if it's a severe weight loss, that's, that's, you know, bringing the person down to an, an undesirable weight, um, you know, then, then obviously the physician is, is right to be concerned about that, but it is, but I think, you know, what you're, what you're saying is that, is that this is a really tricky situation because we just don't always know what's going on. It is absolutely not true that, um, people who choose veganism and particularly women who choose veganism are at higher risk for eating disorders. 
it is true that some people who have eating disorders will choose a vegan diet as one way to mask that or to control their, their food intake and, and reduce their food intake. So I think that healthcare providers have to tread very carefully here. Um, we don't want, you know, we don't want to just assume that because somebody's a vegan and they've lost weight that they have an eating disorder. But if it's a severe weight loss, then, you know, we, we want to look at, at what's going on and whether, um, there are some other, whether there's some mental health issues here or whether the person just needs some guidance to slow their weight loss or, or stop their weight loss. Maybe it's not something that they want at all, but they just don't know how to eat to maintain a healthy weight. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And some people are not um, incorporating the foods that they, they've taken things out, but they haven't added things in. Um, right. Especially, especially if you are have ever been a kind of uh, devotee of low low carb, high protein. Right. You take out that all that protein, and you might be like, I can't eat all those potatoes. I can't eat all that that yeah. rice or grains. We've been we've had so much. It's like we've had so much uh, diet mentality over the last uh, live year decades of our lives that sometimes yeah. it, it's a lot to unravel. It is a lot to unravel. And it is, and it's absolutely true that, that often when people go vegan, they don't, you know, they don't know what to eat. Um, they don't know what is healthy to eat. And certainly there's a lot of fear around carbohydrates and, um, and it's not warranted because these, you know, whole grains and potatoes and starchy vegetables, I mean, they're all just, they're good for you. They're great to include in your diet. So we need to, we need to unlearn some of that mythology around food choices. What is a food that you don't think people eat enough in in your in your practice in your experience? Like, what's a food that you think really everyone should go out there and try it? Well, I think it's so. It's not a specific food. It's a it's a food group. I think that people don't eat enough beans, whether they are vegan or not. Uh, I'm such a. I think most dietitians and and nutrition health professionals are such fans of beans. They're kind of the, they're the dynamic duo for a food that's rich in both protein and fiber. And I'm really, I'm such a fan of high fiber and high protein diets that that's one of the reasons that I love these foods. They're, um, they're just, oh my gosh, they just have, have so many great health benefits and, um, are a really easy way to, to improve your protein intake. So I think that, um, a lot. I mean, I didn't grow up eating beans at all. We had some, sometimes my mother made lentil soup, which I refused to eat. And uh, 4th of July, we had baked beans and I refused to eat those. I was not eating these foods at all. And um, now I'm a big fan. And I think that that there are a lot of people who are are not eating very many beans. And I wish they would, even if they're not vegan. And And sometimes people who have not been eating a lot of beans or very high fiber foods need to take it slower than maybe the rest of us. Yeah, I certainly there's some digestive issues when you start adding these, these foods to your to your diet. And I think if you cook the beans really well, and you start out with some of the smaller choices like lentils and split peas, and then kind of work your way into it that 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 eventually your your intestines will learn to, um, to be more comfortable with with these foods in your diet. Yeah, I, I think I think if you if you go whole whole all the way into it right away, you may have some discomfort if you're not used to it. Yeah. I, I, um, I, another area I know people tell me all the time, they don't know how to advocate if they have a loved one in a, say an assisted living 
or in um, in hospital even for a period of time. That a lot of people, I'm, 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 I, my parents are gone, but my I, I'm kind of that sandwich generation. A lot of my friends still have older yeah. adult, adults in their lives that they're worried about. And even if they don't want them to go vegan at this point, they may want them to have a little extra fiber, a little extra whole foods that they may have been able to make for them when they were living with them, but now that they're in a more institutionalized uh, kitchen environment. Is there a good way to advocate for that, that, that you've, you've found how to help them or, or how to, what kinds of uh, resources to offer to the kitchens in places like this? Yeah, I think that there are very there are not very many uh, resources. Um, the vegetarian resource group has um, uh, recipes and I believe a cookbook for cooking vegan foods in volume that um, is very useful for institutions. But it's it's really difficult. It's a really difficult situation because um, in in a lot of these institutions. Um, it's just, to, you know, it's hard to serve that population to meet everybody's needs um, in, you know, in a way that's affordable, in a way that is is going to be acceptable to most people, um, people who have not, who have, you know, been eating more refined foods and more meat and more dairy for all of their lives and, and are not looking to change. But um if you have a if you have a family member or a loved one in one of these institutions, I think that 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 what you can do and the best thing to do is simply to talk with the staff about what your particular loved one wants to eat. And, you know, maybe they would like to have something like um, split pea soup, which is mm -hmm. something that you can make pretty, um, pretty low cost, making pretty easily in volume. It doesn't necessarily have to be vegan, although it could be vegan, but that might be one way to get a little bit more fiber, a little bit more beans into somebody's diet. And so I think that coming in with specific recommendations, um, presenting them as respectfully as you possibly can, because I think running an institutional food kitchen is a really difficult yeah. job and, um, and people get a lot of complaints. So I think that being proactive and positive and helpful is, is the best thing that, that you can do. Yeah. And I also know a lot of people are afraid of fruit, of fruit, fear of fear of fruit. <laughs> yeah. Fear of fruit, too much sugar. Yeah. Too much yeah. sugar. Um, yeah. Obviously fruit is, is, uh, is, is good for you. And um, I think a lot of, you know, institutions are serving canned fruit because, because th that's what they can it's serve. Easy. Um, it's easy. Yeah. It's easy. It's, it's cheap. And so, I don't know, um, exploring some ways. And, and that's fine. I mean, it's absolutely fine. It's it's better than no fruit at all. But um, again, that's something that, you know, people can talk to the kitchen staff about and see if there are any ways to introduce more fresh fruit into mm. diets that people might enjoy a little bit more. Mm. It's a, what do you feel as I do, even in the few years, what's maybe eight years that I've been vegan and experimenting in that direction a few, maybe another five years before that, the world's really changing in terms of its acceptance, it seems to me. Does it yeah. feel that way to you? Because you've been vegan a long time and you've been in this field a long time. Yeah, it's, I've been vegan a long time and I've, and I've seen, seen lots of changes. I think that um, vegans still make up a 
a pretty small percentage of the overall population, at least in, in the United States and North America. Um, I think that what's changing is that vegan food is much more accessible. Uh, I think a lot of non-vegans are choosing uh, choosing vegan foods for some of their meals, at least. And, um, uh, you know, I look at my, my brother and sister-in-law they're not not vegans at all. They're not vegetarians, but I introduce them to um, Beyond Meat, to the Beyond Meat sausages, and they love them. And so now, when they have sausages, that's what they have. And so that's creating a little bit more of a market for these kinds of foods. And and they're, um, I think that vegan meals in restaurants and vegan foods in the grocery store are becoming more accessible. And that is the the big change that I'm seeing. It's just easier it's easier to be vegan. Yeah. And even if you just experiment with it, a meal, a meal a day or a meal a week, these are things that do help. It helps the market. It helps the people who are creating, uh, bringing yeah. these foods to us. It helps the restaurants. I always say, yeah. even if, even if the restaurant has almost nothing on the menu to ask for it, because it helps, they do learn over time that, right. oh yeah, even if most of the people in the family or in the group aren't vegan, Right. One of one of them is likely to be yes one of them along the way. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're leaving money on the table because they're not they're all not going to go if somebody can't come. That's in my, right. In and my family, I'm the only vegan. Yeah. Nobody nobody goes too many places without me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, see, yeah. Same. I mean, the same with me. If if you have a a group of people who are uh, looking for looking for a restaurant, um, calling up ahead of time and saying, you know. There are eight of us and one is a vegan. Are you going to be able to accommodate that that person? And I think that any restaurant owner who's who's smart is going to want to accommodate that person so that they'll get those eight customers. Yeah, I I, I think um, we we have to look for all the inroads whether we're do whether it's whether it's the foods we like. I mean, I do re meet people sometimes they just don't eat vegetables, so they mm -hmm. they can't even imagine how this is possible. So in those cases, I I I assume you would suggest that they start eating some vegetables, not that they give up anything, but that they start right. crowding out some things. Right. Yeah. I, no, I, I do. I think that that's really good advice. And I think that um, um, it's, I think start starting with what you know and starting with, with what you can add to your diet for people who are looking to go vegan and, and find it a little bit scary Start looking at the recipes that you love and see if any of them can be easily veganized. Um, start exploring new foods, trying new foods, starting some of the veggie meats, trying some bean dishes, um, looking at foods that you already like, that, that you like that are already vegan, like hummus. Um, adding more of those foods to your diet is a good first step instead of worrying about what you're not going to eat, what you're going to take out of your diet. It's just so much easier to take this more positive approach and, and see what, what foods you enjoy that you can add to your diet. So if we have people in our lives who are skeptical about the health benefits or the health, not the health benefits so much, but that of creating a healthy vegan diet, where do, where do we, where do we, other than uh, vegan for life, your book mm -hmm. is, are there any um, resource groups uh, that we should point them to, to begin with? Or do you think it depends on whether they've got small children or whether they're late in life do, or athletes? How do you, where, where do people start getting good information? Yeah. So I already mentioned the vegetarian resource group and that's a, a source of 
of good information of fact sheets and articles on vegan nutrition that um, very it's very reliable information. Um, the Vegetarian Dietetic Practice Group um, also has, uh, uh, that's a professional organization that I mentioned before, but they have um, part of their website is dedicated to fact sheets and information for the public. And, um, you know, those are all created by, by vegan dietitians and vegetarian dietitians. So that's good information as well. Um, I have nutrition primers on my website, theveganrd.com. And um, I try to update those and, and keep those pretty reliable on different topics like vitamin B12 and bone health. Um, uh, veganhealth.org is another website for very motivated people who want to read a lot of information about vegan nutrition. It's a lot of science-based information, but for somebody who wants that info, it's a good, reliable resource. So those are, those are the four websites that, that I recommend for, um, for vegan information that you can, you can pretty much depend, you can depend on that information as being, being valid and being up to date and being reliable. That's marvelous. Okay. I think there's going to be a lot of information for people to get from this podcast. Ginny Messina, uh, is there anything else you would really like? You are someone who is in public health. Is there a wish you have? Is there a something you'd just love to see? If you were, if you were Surgeon General, if you were, if you had the ear of, uh, <laughs> of the powers that be, is there something that you would um, particularly like to see happen? Well, I, you know, um, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I think big when I think, you know, about my one wish, if I could have one wish to, to change the world, I would certainly want a world where, where no animals are being exploited, where everybody is eating a vegan diet and living a, a vegan lifestyle and loving it and being really happy with it. I think, um, I, you know, my wish is for, for people to understand for there to be, I think more resources from the, uh, mainstream nutrition and medical communities, helping people to see that um, veganism is safe, it's doable, um, it's available to everyone, um, be, you know, because, be, because as I mentioned before, there are so many different ways to, to eat a vegan diet. I would like that information to be more prominent and for people to understand that this is that this is really something wonderful that we can do for the world. It's good for the environment. It's good for animals. It's good for our health. And um, just to have that that information out there. All right. Well, that's a good way to end this because we're, that's what we're trying to do here. We just try to keep keep drip drip dripping. Yeah. <laughs> keep dripping and throwing the the vegan seeds out into the community because I, I, somebody was just saying today that. They never knew anything about vegetarianism until they read a novel and one of the characters was vegetarian and they went, oh, I guess I wonder. It wasn't it wasn't scientific, but it was just like sometimes the thing happens, the, the concept occurs when you're in that space of being a little bit more open. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's so that's so interesting that that's that that's what kind of hit that person's thoughts and, and made them think about vegetarianism was was a piece of fiction. Yeah, because ultimately it's just our brains. What what yeah. makes us, as as uh, Melanie Joyce says, what makes us 
eat one animal, use one other animal and pet another animal. It's just, it's just our thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you so much for joining me, Jenny. It's been a while to get, get us together on the, on the pod. And I'm really, really grateful you made time for us. Oh, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. So, so what did you think of Virginia Messina, the vegan RD? You know, in a world of memes and hype, I think it's really refreshing to listen to someone who wants to keep it real, as in there are enough real, ethical, political, environmental, and yes, health benefits to making vegan choices that we don't have to overinflate or overstate any of it. You know, science really can be our friend as we make the best nutritional choices available as well as the best ethical choices we can. A healthy vegan is, in general, an advocate who can create even more change in this world. You know, I hope you loved getting to know Ginny a little, and I hope that you will follow her on social media, where I think almost everywhere she's the vegan RD. RD, of course, meaning registered dietitian. TheVeganRD.com is also her website, and on her many books, uh, I may call her Ginny, but she is Virginia Messina, MPHRD, Master of Public Health, Registered Dietitian. So thank you. Thank you, all my veg heads, all my veggie besties. Thank you for joining us here. And until next week, kids, veg your best. Veg Your Best podcast production, music, and editing by Charlie Weinshank. Thanks, Charlie. Before you go, it would mean so much to me and the Veg Your Best team if you would hit subscribe, leave us a five-star review, or share with someone you think might be interested. Something about algorithms, it helps bump us up a little in the rankings, and that's the best way to help others find the podcast and for us to find our audience. So, until next week, make it easy and veg your best.